And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Up next, Cover to Cover. Afternoon. Welcome to Cover to Cover, open book, or as I like to say, frame to frame. My name is Raina Cowan, here for the next half hour, talking about film. One of the favorite things I have is to talk to local Bay Area filmmakers who I see over the years with different ranges of films, different ideas for films, and then it's always interesting to see where they're landing, what, what they're going to next. Today, I'm going to be talking with two Bay Area filmmakers, Nancy Kelly and Kenji Yamamoto. Uh, they just made this new film in Titled Rebels with a Cause, um, not Rebels Without a Cause, and it focuses on Point Reyes, Golden Gate National Recreation Area, and all these other areas that over the course of the 60s and 70s onto the present have been developed so that there's open space uh, for people to enjoy throughout the Bay Area. Now, or actually even throughout the world, but now it's a very interesting thing because when I got ready to watch this film, I thought, you know, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be one of those sort of fluffy kind of films that's sort of sweet that is not going to really move me. And it turns out that this is a film about community organizing at its best, and it's a film about activism and how it works on a local level and then how it affects national politics in a way that I found astounding. And I learned a lot that I had never known before. So I want to welcome both of you to KPFA, Nancy Kelly, the director. Thank you. And Kenji Yamamoto, the editor. Welcome. Thank you. So, um... Now, it's so funny when there's something that's sort of right in front of your face. You know, I go on hikes all the time. I like am out there, but I didn't really realize that it was a story of political struggle. So how did the two of you wind up landing on this project in the beginning? Nancy? Well, I was in a meeting with the president and CEO of um, KRCB, North Bay Public Media, um, Nancy Dobbs. And um, this was in 2000. Four. And she um, just asked me out of the blue if I would be interested in making a documentary about this subject. And I knew a little bit about it from reading a book that had been published in the early 1980s called San Francisco's Wilderness Next Door by John Hart. And I love those lands. And I just said immediately, yes, even though Kenji wasn't at the meeting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, film partners who, yes, uh-huh. And Nancy knew about it because she had just finished reading um, Marty Griffin's book, Saving the Marin-Sonoma Coast. So that was what inspired her. Now, there's so many different stories. How did you figure out the best way to to start telling this story, which I think is really complicated because there's both the community organizing, there's the politics. Uh, you you have people who I haven't seen in uh, in documentaries for a long time, Nixon, Kennedy, you know, people who who actually were involved in moving something forward in a way that was really interesting. So how did the two of you start conceptualizing what you wanted to do? Well, the, you know, there were ordinary Bay Area citizens that were involved and we were really drawn to the people 
And because of that, besides the facts, um, we saw that they were um, either from the Bay Area or from other places that their uh, outdoor environment had been uh, taken over by corporations and, and largely destroyed. And um, so we knew that we wanted to sort of focus on um, these people who are real characters and um, lawyers, housewives, everyone of every occupation sort of got involved. And each one said, my gosh, we've got to save this, this land wherever they may be in the Marin Headlands or in San Francisco or in, or in Point Reyes. So that's what started us at first. I also... In those two books, they mm-hmm. focused on um, certain key um, pieces of land that were saved, sort of key battlegrounds. And then um, Huey Johnson, who's in the film a lot, um, I see him out when I'm walking my dog. We walk our dogs in the same area in the mornings. So I would invite him to have breakfast with me sometimes. And at one breakfast, he said, um, the the battle that was was really key was over Bolinas Lagoon. And um and so I don't think that there was that much about that well, there was in Marty's book, but um so I knew we wanted to do that one just because Huey had recommended it and he you know, I mean, he won some award from the United Nations for his environmental work and I just thought if he thinks that's important, I believe him. <laughs> um I wasn't quite sure whether we should start in nineteen 19- 30-something when the Park Service first said Point Reyes was a an area worth saving or in, you know, somewhere in the 50s. But we kind of had to choose. And so we chose to start in 1958 when Clem Miller submitted the first um, Point Reyes National Seashore Bill. But it was really hard to decide. And, and the the one story that we left out that I found kind of heartbreaking, but we just couldn't make it work, was the story of Alcatraz. Oh, mm-hmm. that's interesting. Yeah. So why don't we start with Clem Miller and tell us a little bit about his vision for what he wanted for Point Reyes and and how that led you into national politics in terms of this film and and what you what you learned about him. He was an utterly charming person by all accounts um and we've met members of his family we've met um two at least two of his daughters and they mm-hmm. seem to have inherited that utterly charming gene um he loved the outdoors he came from delaware which had of course been um subdivided and developed and when he got here and um he lived in corda madeira and he um had a little cabin out in Inverness, and he just knew that that area was headed the same direction as the beaches and the the coastal areas in Delaware, and just wanted to save them. Amazing. So why don't we hear a clip from the film? Kenji, why don't you set this up? Uh, Who are we going to hear? We're going to hear former uh, Secretary of Interior Stuart Udall, who um, speaks about meeting Clem Miller, Congressman Clem Miller, who was a, uh, a a junior congressman in California and back in 1958. So that's how far back we go. Okay, let's hear this. I first heard about Point Reyes from uh, a, a wonderful congressman. His name was Clem Miller. And 
he bugged everybody. <laughs> and he showed you pictures. And he was a, a freshman congressman, I think, elected in 1958. And he was very persuasive and the right person to take on a big project. Clem was patient. Uh, he was an attractive person. He was smart. A sweet, wonderful man. We're running out of open space in the United States. With an expected population of about 10 million in this area in the next 10 years, we need open space. For this reason, I introduced the Point Reyes Bill, Western Marin, to provide open space for our people of this area. When I first went to work for Clam after the 58 election, uh, he took me on a tour of the district. And he stopped at the top of that hill where you first can see Inverness Ridge. And Clem said, we're going to save all this, meaning Port Reyes Peninsula. And that was my number one assignment and was his priority all the way through. He grew up in Wilmington, Delaware. He saw what had happened to so much of the really prime outdoor areas. He had a very good sense of what the future of this area would be without the park. The Bryn County Board of Supervisors uh, were four to one for subdivision development out here. But almost all the ranchers uh, out on the peninsula uh, were opposed. We didn't want the park in here. And uh, we, tr we tried to do everything we could to keep them out. And that was a real problem. So that film clip from Levels, Rebels with a Cause, uh, we're with the director, Nancy Kelly, and the editor, Kenji Yamamoto. Uh, I mean, it sort of lays out something that seems really essential, that you have uh, big business and developers on one side. You have government who is playing different roles, and then you have the ranchers who uh, are are also playing a really different kind of role. And... So there was a lot going on at one moment in terms of different needs and different interests. So, uh, and it's so interesting because you wind up interviewing a rancher through the course of the film who uh, starts off less than sympathetic, becomes temporarily sympathetic, and by the end you think, well, who, who is he representing here? But so much has happened that is really phenomenal. So uh, I'm wondering about how you chose who to interview, and I, you know, when we hear from Stuart Udall, I think you also had to deal with time. A lot of the, there was somebody who was a hundred. Stuart Udall didn't seem very healthy himself at this point, and uh, I think died in 2010. Is that right? So that there was, um, so that you had a limited time to try to reach some of these people. So, how did you go about kind of thinking about all of that? I tried not to um, worry about. Um, I've got to get these people before they die. Um, I just <laughs> thought about them as being alive. And um, and the larger challenge was to um, persuade them to be interviewed by me, who, of course, none of them had ever heard of. Um, Bill Duddleson, who was Clem Miller's legislative aide, um, you know, back in the 1960s, um, someone from Point Reyes National Seashore interviewed Introduced me to Bill, and then Bill introduced me to um, to Mr. Udall, as Bill instructed me to call him when I called him up. <laughs> and um, and when I 
proposed to Mr. Udall that I um, come to Santa Fe where he lived and interview him, he said no. <laughs> and I was I didn't know if I really would be able to tell that part of the story without him because he was so key. And so I said, Mr. Udall, no doesn't really work for me. <laughs> and he um, he had macular degeneration, and so he agreed to read something if I to let me send him something but and he said he had a machine that would magnify it but then I printed it in like I don't know my letter in 36 point font or something and mailed it to him and then he called me after he had read what I sent and said that um he was coming to um Berkeley to spend Thanksgiving with his family and um would agree to be interviewed but he told me later that he didn't think that he would be worth my spending the money on bringing a crew to Santa Fe from California. That that was why he said no. Oh, that is so interesting. And of course he didn't tell his family that he was coming. <laughs> no, that he was going to be interviewed. That he was going to be interviewed, rather. So it was a surprise to his son. <laughs> well, now what's also interesting about Stuart Udall is how he describes Clem Miller in that little clip we just heard. Uh, that he was patient, he was an attractive person, he was sweet, and he was smart. And uh, that is such a... You would never describe a politician that way. I mean, that is so interesting uh, that that somehow he captured something that was completely different than what one would expect from a politician. Do you think his personality was something that actually uh, helped in terms of get uh, Point Reyes going? Yes, and and not only that, the the um, the uh, political atmosphere at that time was was truly bipartisan, and that Republicans and Democrats had almost equal interest in in open space and saving open space. It was a very rare moment in time, and uh, not too f- soon after uh, Point Reyes was made into a national park, um, along comes this environmental movement. And if you were going to be reelected into office, you had to sort of join the wagon. So many Republicans did, in fact, have a big heart about saving open space. So that was interesting for us to see. But Clem was early in this in this drive to save open space, for sure. And he used this gentleness. He had to convince people on a community level. And uh, he had to convince people in his own county before he got permission from other congressmen to go forward well that part is also really interesting is how he was able to do that <clears throat> because there were so many divided interests and so even today somebody was talking about how they can't live in Marin because there's so much open space that they can't afford to live in Marin so that there's it's almost like the same arguments are still kind of being circulated uh, how how did Clem actually start making contact with so many different kinds of people and really make steps to get somewhere well he was the he was their congress he was everyone's congressman and um and you even i mean the footage that we have of him talking to local people is from one of his political campaigns so um but um still he he did he talked to everyone he was known for that and um and the the ranchers in 1958, when he introduced the first Point Reyes bill, um, they defeated it. Um, they and other interests, the um, logging and the, and um, developers, and and really the just that was the sort of nature of the times was 
you know, um, development was seen as a progressive thing in the post-war time. So um, he was kind of had a vision that not that many people share, many people shared. But um, when Kennedy was elected, then the tide kind of turned. And the other thing that I found really interesting was the degree to which um, the people working on a national level, on a federal level, were watching the population trends and seeing, like, where are people moving? They, people were moving to the coast. And, of course, there was the population boom. And and people were, it's like, going out and camping, and there wasn't enough places for people to camp. And, you know, so they knew that. And, and Kennedy and Udall really sort of capitalized on that, which helped Clem Miller. So... Uh- and how do you think that the ranchers wound up switching position? I mean, I, I guess you don't talk about it so much in terms of the specifics in your film, but I, it is very interesting to see how there is such a shift. Uh, was it that moment where the ranchers who were already in Point Reyes got to stay? Is Do you think that's what did it? Well, part of it was that in the, the movement was to to create a pastoral zone within the park itself, so that would protect the ranchers from from being booted out, so that their lands could be uh, preserved and be active for ranching for dairy. So that was really a key thing. And so Joe Mendoza, who the rancher that you hear, had a turn of heart, and he saw that this was really advantageous, not only for him but his further you know future generations behind him. And there was a there was another rancher, Boyd Stewart. And when you were asking, how did we decide who to include? And had had I I knew Boyd because I used to board my horse at the Stewart Ranch, <laughs> and um and he was long gone by the time we started making the film. And there I, we really never found um anything that any interviews with him or anything that we could use to really bring him alive. But um he. He also he um, was uh, educated. He he knew one of the senators from Nevada, and so he was able to. And, and that senator was Republican, but that senator was able to represent the ranchers' interest in Congress, and um, and and that helped them to um, make sure that they got things that they needed. And to this day, when you go to the Point Reyes National Seashore, you see dairies, you see cattle ranches. You know, it's. Um, and and that was kind of um that was there when the people started urban people started to say we want to have ranches and farms and agriculture near our city now i want to uh, ask sort of about a technical thing which was that further down the film when you're talking about the Bolinas lagoon you start introducing both uh, visuals as if uh what would have what Bolinas lagoon would have looked like if it had actually turned into what the developers wanted and that there was moments when you used cartoons to kind of uh demonstrate what was really going to happen and it, it, i always feel so mixed about Having these elements in, are they necessary? Are they not? What do they add? But uh, I have to say that the horror of picturing Bolinas Lagoon <laughs> as a theme park uh, was was uh, uh, pretty overwhelming. So how did you decide technically whether to include things like that and, and how you wanted to, uh, I don't know, almost incite the viewer? 
You know, the the uh, uh, part of the Bolinas Lagoon was to to uh, bring back alive the the story of uh, a key character in Bolinas who was. Um, not in the United States, not around to be interviewed. So we had no visuals to to explain um, that there was yet another person uh, in the countercultural community of Bolinas that were working with these environmentalists. And um, so we thought that animation would be the only way to actually express that. So we hired Mark Fior, who is a um, Pulitzer Prize winning animator in the Bay Area. In uh, in Fairfax, and he loved the idea. So it was it was a uh, I think a very useful way of illustrating what what happened, and, it, and it's actually very humorous what happened. And sometimes you just you as filmmakers, like if we were writing a book, we would have been able to do it differently. But because we need that visual element, and sometimes with this story, because environmentalism conservation battles were not even worth like the the local press might cover it with a little like what part of one column little article but they wouldn't even have any pictures so we really didn't have any images though and also if you had been um if you had suffered through the rough cut screening you would have heard people say that they wanted a cultural context and um you know from the time and so we tried in the especially in the early sequences to um use um footage that we could find of the 1950s and the 1960s of that sort of what was the recreational ideal um you know in those days and it was much more water skiing and that kind of thing than paddle boarding you know <laughs> and um and you know what was the vision for the the coast and it was to you know develop it to have high-rise hotels and things where you could look out over the ocean from your hotel room if you could afford that hotel room and um and i just the thing that blew me away was the heliport in uh, the middle of bolinas lagoon <laughs> yes. so you know we kenji found a shot out of our stock footage um of a heel of a helicopter landing but it certainly made it visual. It's so funny because you would think that there would have been so much visual things that you would have been able to use. That's so interesting that there really wasn't. No, we had nothing. I mean, literally the things that you're describing were the sequences where we literally had nothing. <laughs> we, we, we called through over 1,650 articles and images to, to consider for this for this film, and we finally included just under 200. So we, we did a lot of searching to to find the right visual uh, for telling our story well let's then move on to the golden gate national recreation area because i think that's also a really great story that uh you know that this woman who uh, who during the day is doing all this activism in her house and then she sort of shuffles everything off of the the, the dining room table <laughs> to somehow play another role in the evening and how uh, and then you mentioned people who were giving thousands of hours to try and make this work uh, it's uh, it's it was extraordinary story well the tide had turned but in the the first earth day was 1971 i think and um and Amy Meyer is the person that you're describing, and um, she was literally a housewife um, living out in the avenues in, on, or on Lake Street um, mm -hmm. in San Francisco. Uh, Clement, she said Clement. Clement. Yes, Clement, <laughs> thank you. And, um, and, you know, her 
two daughters were getting, um, you know, they were starting to grow up, go to school, and she didn't need to be around home all the, all the time. So she was just kind of looking for a little project, and um, she started out fighting um, the the development of Fort Miley out, um, you know, right near the um, near the ocean. Now it's a it's a park um, out by the a hospital, right? Yes, Some, it's very close to. To a hospital there. The Veterans Administration. Mm-hmm. Is that what it is? Yes. Yeah. So um, she started out fighting for that, but then very quickly um, became um, sort of partnered up with Edgar Wayburn, who was um, trying to create a Golden Gate National Recreation Area. He and um, Ansel Adams had been envisioning that for decades. And um, and Amy, to this day, is um, a, the, she's now the chair of the People for a Golden Gate National Recreation Area, Pifkinora, as she always says. And, um, you know, she's very much an activist um, defending um, different aspects of the park. So, um, but, yeah, she, um, she, and, and it really, she had the tide in her favor. So where Point Reyes National Seashore took probably 10 years or longer to um, become a reality, um, the Golden Gate National Recreation Area from when she and Edgar created the People for Golden Gate National Recreation Area to when Nixon signed the bill was a matter of a couple of years. They just they had the wind at their back at that point. So and and the the lawyers you're talking about, um, Doug Ferguson, Martin Rosen, and um, Bob Pretzel, um, you know they were young men with young families. They were new lawyers. You know how when you first start practicing law, how hard you have to work. You know, everybody else has gone home and you're still there slaving away. And they um, gave so many hours to um, Huey Johnson and his effort to defeat the building of a city of 30,000 people. Just like one ridge line over from the North Tower, the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, you know, Gulf Oil and one of America's foremost developers were proposing this and it was already approved but um they turned that around but they worked thousands of hours yeah that's that was an extraordinary story there's so many interesting stories in this film rebels with a cause there's many different options that you have for seeing the film uh let's go through some first at the hillside club in berkeley on earth day there'll be a screening there's going to be a screening at the san francisco green festival on may 30th and then it opens at the roxy in san francisco on may 31st and then the elmwood in berkeley the rafael in san rafael and the rialto in sebastopol on june 7th so there's a lot of different opportunities to see this film which is very inspiring and quite unique in terms of the story it tells because what we're talking about is an area that's only 20 minutes outside of such an urban area and that people were able to take over the land and create something that was accessible for everyone right and and as Huey Johnson says at the beginning of the film you don't have to own a ranch to be able to walk the land in the San Francisco Bay Area, and that it's really extraordinary. It's and and it really started a movement to create parks near where people live. Um, we're we're showing Rebels with a Cause next weekend in um, Cleveland at the Cleveland International Film Festival, and the community sponsors are um, the creators of something called the um, something tow the Towpath Trail, and it's um, a very similar thing that local people. Um, just lobbied for and um, and created so that in Cleveland you can walk along what used to be the canal on this path. 
It's wonderful. So that they in this film, there's zoning that was used. There was political action. There was legal maneuvering, and then there was uh, you know political and community organizi- mm-hmm. organizing. It was really extraordinary. So I want to thank once again the director Nancy Kelly of Rebels with a Cause and Kenji Yamamoto, the editor. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. I'm Raina Cowan. This has been Cover to Cover, Open Book, uh, Frame to Frame. Um, I'll be back next month for another edition of Focus on Film. Thanks for listening. KPFA is 64 years old. We want you to help us celebrate on Sunday, April 14th from 5 to 9 p.m. at Cafe Venezia in Berkeley. There will be an array of appetizers, a delicious Italian dinner, and then birthday cake, of course. The festivities will be hosted by Ed Holmes of the San Francisco Mime Troupe and features Bay Area jazz guitarist Terrence Brewer, followed by special guest Wavy Gravy. This event is a benefit for KPFA and Camp Winter Rainbow. Tickets are $150 a piece or $275 per couple. Join us at Cafe Venezia on Sunday, April 14th at 5 p.m. Reserve your place at the table. Call 510-848-6767, extension 255, or email benefit at kpfa.org. See you there.